Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, wow. Almost 20 weeks of this show, 20 weeks of giving you different genres to listen to, different artists to check out, different guides, one Essentials album. Thinking of doing another one. Another one might be on the horizon, but I, I have done Essentials albums and uh, or Essential albums, I should say. And it's it's just these past almost 20 weeks have been so fun. I feel like 20 is a good a good milestone. 10 was a good milestone because I hit the double digits, but now we're doing it again with the big two zero. Um, but now that I mention it, you know, I have been doing this, this thing over and over again, where I give you different genre guides going over different artists. I kind of mixed it up with essentials an essential album talking about white light, white heat by the velvet underground uh, a couple weeks back. But now I want to, I want to change things up again. We're going to change things up again for this show. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But first, before we get into this past week of music before we get into to the feature later on in this episode i want to go talk about something that i saw trending on twitter something that it was very contentious and something that i haven't looked at because i wanted to give you my reaction here on the show my genuine reaction on the show and that is the rolling stones article that was just released talking about the 500 greatest albums of all time it was trending on twitter uh, around September 22nd, when this list was released, and they updated their albums list to 500, 500 albums. That's a lot of records. That's a lot of music. And because that's a lot of music, we're not going to go over the entire list because we'd be here all day. As we make our way down from 500 to 100, I want to go over the, the, the 100 marks. Maybe if, I, if something catches my eye, I'll, I'll stop and, and take a look at it. So at number 500... We have Arcade Fire's Funeral, released in 2004. That is a wonderful album. I'm glad it made it on the list, just barely, but probably one of my favorite indie albums of all time. was a hugely influential album uh, during my early college years. And now I'm, I'm scrolling down, and I had to stop at 498 because we have the Suicide Self-Titled album, released in 1977. This, I think, should be higher on the list. This album is just a phenomenal, no-wave, synth-punk album that should get a lot of recognition. This album is actually pretty high on my favorite albums of all times list. Just an important album in the New York scene, in punk, in no-wave. This album should be higher. I'm kind of disappointed that it's not higher than 498. And I had to stop again because at 491 is the most recent Harry Styles album don't really care about Harry Styles. I have heard a couple of his songs that I thought was pretty good, but the fact that that's higher than both Funeral and Suicide, that's a shame. 487 is Damaged by Black Flag. That's a that's a good pick. We have Born This Way by Lady Gaga higher than Damaged, but whatever. Let's skip ahead here real quick. I'm seeing a lot of albums that I recognize, but I, I, I again, I can't be on this for too long. Ram by Paul and Linda McCartney is at 450. That's a that's a pretty wonderful solo Beatles album. Definitely not my favorite, but I mean, it's at 450, so we might see Imagine on here, Band on the Run. At 387, we have In Rainbows by Radiohead, one of my favorite Radiohead albums 
I'm going to guess that OK Computer and Kid A are higher on this list since both the, both those albums and In Rainbows are like the holy trinity of Radiohead albums. I think In Rainbows should be a bit higher than 387, but that's just my opinion. We're going to scroll past more. It's taking some time to load. Oh, here's an interesting one. Heaven or Las Vegas by Cocteau Twins at 245. That is a wonderful album. Actually, an album that kind of took me a while to get into, but once I was into it, I, I loved the their take on Dream Pop, a very iconic Dream Pop album. For those of you who know the twins, you don't need me to tell you that. 235 and 234 have two iconic metal albums back-to-back. The Black Album by Metallica at 235 and Master of Reality at 234. The Black Album sold a lot of copies. Makes sense that it's on this list. It also has Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters, two songs that everyone recognizes. But I would think that Master of Reality would have been higher on this list. Maybe Paranoid's a bit higher. Maybe I won't even see Paranoid on this list because I keep skipping through this list. But um, that was interesting. That was interesting uh, placements. Oh, here we go. I see Imagine by John Lennon at 223. Probably my favorite John Lennon album right now. I mean, you got so many iconic songs. Imagine being one of them. Jealous Guy is a very catchy song that I think is pretty underrated. But... um, Maybe we'll see more Paul McCartney. Maybe we'll see more John Lennon later on in this list. At 199, we have Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Definitely one of those albums and bands that pushed through the boundaries of indie rock. Not my favorite Pavement album, but, you know, I gotta admit, it's pretty good. 195 is Songs of Leonard Cohen by Leonard Cohen. Talked about that last week on the Contemporary Folk episode. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic at 186. Listen, this is probably a, a very controversial opinion. I think the... Red Hot Chili Peppers are boring, but I'm glad they made it on this list. Wow. Damn by Kendrick Lamar at 175. That was released in 2017. I remember listening to that and being disappointed. Compared to his last two albums, I just think that Damn was pretty lackluster. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Good Kid or Japan Butterfly later on in this list. 173 In Utero by Nirvana. Fantastic album. Probably their best but I'm probably going to see Nevermind in the top 50 or the top 100 at least. Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth at 171. Phenomenal album. My first Sonic Youth album. Not my favorite, but still really great. We'll be talking about Sonic Youth later on in the show. Well, not necessarily Sonic Youth, but Thurston Moore. All right, let's go to 150, and it's Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. I haven't heard much Springsteen in my life, but I enjoyed Born to Run and Born in the USA but haven't listened to Nebraska yet. Oh, look, Born in the USA, 142. And underneath that, the Velvet Underground's self-titled album, released in 1969, and 143. I'm glad that's on the list. That is a fantastic album. Not as great as the first two, but still absolutely wonderful. Oh, I found Paranoid. Paranoid by Black Sabbath is at 139. So many iconic songs like Iron Man, Paranoid, War Pigs, and my personal favorite, Hand of Doom. I don't think that song gets talked about enough. That is a phenomenal song. All right, now let's skip to 100. Let's see what's at the big 100. We have Music from Big Pink by The Band. I don't listen to The Band, so I should, but I haven't gotten there yet. Okay, now that we're at 100, we can be a little more lax and not skip around as much. Red by Taylor Swift is at 99. I haven't heard that one. Master of Puppets by Metallica at 97. Probably their best album. My personal favorite Metallica album, at least. Funhouse by The Stooges at 94. Phenomenal punk album. The Stooges' self-titled album was near the 490 mark, but I'm glad to see that 
Funhouse is a bit is a bit higher on this list. Hunky Dory by David Bowie at 88. That's a great album. Not David Bowie's best, but still has a lot of great songs like Changes and Life on Mars. The Doors' self-titled release from 1967's at 86. Fantastic album. Probably The Doors' best album. Oh, look at this. Plastic Ono Band by John Lennon at 85. I'm impressed that this was higher on the list than imagined, but look, Plastic Ono Band, phenomenal album as well. There was a time where both Plastic Ono Band and Imagine were fighting for which one was my favorite John Lennon solo project. Blonde by Frank Ocean at 79. I'm I'm not sure if I would place it above Plastic Ono Band or Fun House by the Stooges or a, a lot of the albums I, I saw earlier in this list, but Blonde is a great album. Really enjoyed it when it first came out. Kanye West's The College Dropout at 74. Not his best, but one of his best. We'll probably see My Beautiful Dark Justice Fantasy higher on this list, but still a good album. And right above that is A Love List by My Bloody Valentine at 73. Um, I was hoping to see this in the top 50 at least, but it's here at 73. I'm just going to say that I wish this was higher because, man, this album is phenomenal. A Love Supreme by John Coltrane at 66. Wow, I thought this would be higher. I, I, this should be higher. This should be top 25 material at least. Um, I feel like I'm going to be really disappointed in this top 50, top 25. Um, if I'm seeing something like a love Supreme at 66, that is a phenomenal jazz record. One of Coltrane's best shouldn't be this low. Led Zeppelin four by Led Zeppelin at 58. Um, I feel like this should be higher as well just for its cultural significance, along with Dark Side of the Moon at 55 by Pink Floyd. That, I'm surprised that's not higher on the list. Wow. Or, oh my god, Electric Ladyland at 53. This should be higher. That, uh, to be fair, I like Are You Experienced a little more than Electric Ladyland, but Electric Ladyland is still an iconic album. Now we're breaking the 50 mark, The Blueprint by Jay-Z at 50. Um, Sure, why not? It's a, it's a good album. Aquemini by Outkast at 49. That's also good placement. That's a good album. Illmatic by Nas at 44. This should be higher. <laughs> uh, this is this is just an iconic album. And oh, I was so close. I went to a record shop earlier, um, actually uh, two weeks ago, and I almost bought Illmatic. Um, I didn't buy anything because I wanted to save my money. I didn't even want to be there in the first place, but almost bought Illmatic. Um it's uh this is a phenomenal record one of hip-hop's best records should be higher on the list and at 43 we have the low end theory by a tribe called quest at 43 pretty sure i said that already um this should be lower than nomadic Uh, tribe called quest phenomenal the low end theory phenomenal nomadic is is better though at 42 we have okay computer by radiohead I'm surprised this isn't higher on the list. Not my favorite Radiohead album, but 42 is a good placement. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars by David Bowie at 40. Um, If this is the highest that David Bowie goes, I'll be surprised, but this is one of his best. It should be higher. I'll probably see Heroes higher on the list. I'm predicting that right now. Remain in Light by Talking Heads at 39. This is a pretty good placement. Not my favorite Talking Heads album. Actually, I have been thinking about a Talking Heads guide for a while now, and I, I, I might do it. So, But R- Remain in Light is not my favorite Talking Heads album. It's still good. It's an iconic album. It's an important album. Not my favorite. At 38, we have Blonde on Blonde by 
Bob Dylan, one of my favorite Bob Dylan albums, not my favorite, but um, this should be a bit higher, at least top 25. I'm shocked that it's not. The Chronic by Dr. Dre at 37. I love Elmatic, but I, I would place The Chronic above Elmatic any day. This is a phenomenal album. Um, with that placement, Dr. Dre above uh, Elmatic, sure, I, I, I agree. Rubber Soul by The Beatles at 35. If this is at 35, um, holy shit. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm about to get flooded with Beatles albums in the next 34 picks. Beyonce's Lemonade at 32. Haven't heard Lemonade yet, but I know that it had a lot of hype when it first was released. Um, I have no opinions on this. I just, I haven't heard it. But the fact that this is above The Chronic and Elmatic, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little upset at that. Yeah, uh, you could say that. Kind of Blue by Miles Davis at 31. Sure, why not? I mean, I saw Bitches Brew. I don't even remember where I saw Bitches Brew. Um, it's above A Love Supreme, which I disagree with. Um, but it's, it's an iconic album. If you're going to listen to if you're going to start listening to Miles Davis, you should start with Kind of Blue. Everyone knows this album, so sure, why not? Aha, Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix at 30. That's a good placement. Wish it was a bit higher. The Beatles' White Album at 29. See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's going to be more Beatles. Just you watch. I'm, gonna, I'm expecting Revolver, at least Revolver and Abbey Road, to be within the top 28. But White Album, uh, sure, good placement. Enter the Wu-Tang Clan at 27. I love this album a lot. Would I place it above The Chronic and Elmatic? Probably not. I'd probably have trouble ranking those three. But hey, it's this high up, so why not? I, I'm, I'm going to guess that To Pimp a Butterfly or Good Kid Mad City is above this album, which I would disagree with. But the fact that it's this high, I'm pretty happy about that. Ah, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Why didn't I think of this? At 24, sure, sure. If I see Revolver and Abbey Road now above this, I'll get it. Abbey Road's not my favorite. Sgt. Pepper's isn't my favorite, but um, this makes sense. It was uh, an important mainstream psychedelic rock album. Speaking of important rock albums, we have The Velvet Underground and Nico at 23. If the White Light, White Heat is not above this, um, I understand. I'll be crushed. I would, I would place White Light, White Heat above the Banana album, but this is a good placement, and... It definitely should be in the top 25. Wow, Ready to Die by Biggie at 22. Um, sh- I guess. I guess. we we. I'm glad that there's a lot of hip-hop in the top 50. I personally would not rate Ready to, to Die above Wu-Tang, Dr. Dre, or Nas, but it's a good placement. Kid A by Radiohead at 20. Uh, this was my favorite Radiohead album for the longest time. I guess, I guess it is my number two radiohead album so at 20 i mean i expected this uh they were this was a, a, a very important release to pepper butterfly kendrick lamar at 19 love this album but i have to disagree with its placement above biggie nas wu-tang dr dre that's just ridiculous highway 61 revisited by bob dylan at 18 again not my favorite bob dylan record but i'm glad bob dylan's in the top 20 he probably has another album in the top 20 my Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy at 17, above Tip and Butterfly. Psh, uh, <laughs> um, I would have to disagree with this as well. I kind of expected this. Um, uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Public Enemy. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back is at 15. 
Um, I'm 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 fine now. Look at look, they redeemed themselves. <laughs> uh, this is a phenomenal album. One of hip hop's most important albums, if not their most important album. It's most important album, I should say. This is definitely Public Enemy's most important album. Okay, that's a good that's a good that's a good ranking. Revolver by the Beatles at eleven. Yes, this is one of my favorite Beatles albums. It was actually my favorite Beatles album for a while. Pretty phenomenal for the Beatles. Um, so I, I kind of expected this. Abbey Road will be in the top five, I'm predicting. <gasps> oh, wow. Okay, okay. Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan is at number nine. Blood on the Tracks is my favorite Bob Dylan album. Holy shit. I thought, I thought once I saw Highway 61, that was it for Dylan. But no. Number nine. Wow. This um this this list is based. <laughs> Rumors by Fleetwood Mac at seven. Uh sure. Really iconic. Nevermind by Nirvana. And number six. Didn't expect it to be near the top five, but here we are. Abbey Road by the Beatles at number five. I told you guys. I told you guys. I thought it'd be near number one, at least number two, but it's at number five. I'm what will be at number one? I'm kind of blanking. Songs in the Keys of Life, Stevie Wonder number four blue by Joni Mitchell at number three. Holy crap. Blue is a, is a fantastic album. I'm surprised it's at number three. Wow. Um, pet sounds by the beach boys at number two. I don't like the beach boys. Um, I am shocked that it's at number two. I guess I didn't see it in the top 100. So it had to be pretty close to the top at some point, but wow, this is, like the fact that Joni Mitchell's at number three and the Beach Boys at number two, I have no idea what number one will be. And I'm scrolling down slowly, getting ready for the big reveal. Number one is Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Huh. Wow. Okay. I, I don't listen to Marvin Gaye, so I, I really can't give my opinion on the number one slot on this list but this was a ride so many surprises so many shocks so many twists and turns what a interesting list that's the best that i can say for this list what an interesting list i mean at least it wasn't predictable like okay computer was number one or abbey road was number one or two people butterfly was number one but um that was that was quite the ride and i'm i'm glad that you were able to join me on this wild ride. This segment has been going on for quite a long while. I have a great show for you this week. Coming up, I'll be talking about Sufjan Stevens' new release, The Ascension. But first, as always, we have to talk about this past week in music. So this was a massive past week and music with a lot of artists and bands just dumping their new music for our ears to enjoy. But if you're overwhelmed, don't worry. I'm here to walk you through it and cover it all. For the singles, we have a new clipping single, 96 Nev Campbell, the second single for their upcoming project. The bars and verses from David are fire. The industrial beat is haunting, but it bops. The guest verse from Cam and China was pretty good too. I don't need to say much about this song. It's clipping. This next album will be fire and I'm excited. 
Then I heard Confessions of a Dopamine Addict and Wrath by the Smashing Pumpkins. And um, if you thought their last two singles were bad, prepare your ears for these next two singles because, man, it's just a lot of pitiful synth pop and new wave revival crap. The instrumentals are cheap imitations of, of the music that was popular in the 80s. And again, it follows this tired trend of reviving the bright and poppy synth pop of the 80s. But here, much like the last two singles, they fall flat and it's just laughable. At least the chorus during Wrath has has a nice little melodic moment from Corgan that I kind of liked. But for the rest of the two songs, Billy's vocals just falter and his whining was just so bad. I am not looking forward to this new Smashing Pumpkins album. So far, these singles have just been not good. Up next, Franchise by Travis Scott featuring Young Thug and M.I.A. This was a fairly good banger. Didn't mind the booming 808 beat. That's kind of like a staple for Travis and I guess trap music in general. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good. And I thought every verse was fine. Not much to say about this song. It was it was just all right. And uh, <laughs> next up, we have Vin Diesel's musical debut with Feel Like I Do. When... I heard that Vin Diesel released music. I tried to think of what he would make and how he would sound like. And one, I didn't expect it to be an EDM track. I didn't expect Vin Diesel to come uh, from the early to mid 2010s to to deliver this EDM track. Listen, I don't know much about EDM, actually. Um, I had friends in high school who loved EDM, didn't really care for it. So when I think of EDM, I think back to... My high school days, which are, hey, why not, you know, let's repress that. Um, But I just didn't like a lot of it because a lot of it was corny and it just wasn't my scene. And speaking of corny, this song is corny with its upbeat piano chords, bright synths and the clapping. Um, And man, his voice. (laughs) I did not expect his voice to sound like that. He is singing in a higher register that I'm not used to. That any of us are, I, I'm not sure if anyone's used to this because his voice is deep. It's just so funny, so unexpected. This song is just not good. He's 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 a decade too late to talk about or to to release EDM music. So this was a pain to get through, as you can imagine. Um, up next, oh God, speaking of being teleported back, um, we had Ev- I, I listened to Edge Lord by Dorian Electra featuring Rebecca Black. This is not as bad as a throwback as uh, Vin Diesel's. In fact, the real throwback is the fact that it mentions edgy, like anonymous meme lords, which I'm pretty sure are still prevalent today. But I mean, I really started hearing about like those anonymous edge lords when I was in high school. And he has a Rebecca Black on this song, which, man, I, I, I don't even know how old Friday is, but I was pretty young when friday first came out this is also my first dorian electro song this was recommended to me by a friend and i knew it was going to be hyper pop i just didn't know how close it was going to sound to 100 gex this song has a booming bass vocal manipulation to make dorian's voice higher and the guitar solo was pretty hilarious but i mean it's it sounds like a 100 gex song which makes it uh, like a mid-tier song for me but I got to say, the lyrics heightened this song for me. So uh, still a pretty mid-tier track. And oh, God, guys, Women has released a new rarity, B-side, whatever, 
everyone is so in love with you. They have announced a Rarities collection coming out soon. If you don't know, I fucking love this band. I have Public Strain on vinyl. Public Strain, hands down, one of my favorite releases, if not my favorite release of the last decade. And um, so, as you can imagine, I was pretty excited to hear that Women was dropping new material. Um, for this one, I, I hear a lot of Cindy Lee on this track. And of course, some of the band members went on to create Cindy Lee. This song features daunting double bass, obscure vocals, distant tropical sounding guitars. We have that, you know, very on-brand women, desolate and hopeless sound. But I, I, again, I, I hear a lot of Cindy Lee on this record. Um, but I say desolate and hopeless, but I loved this track. I want more women soon. I'm looking forward to this compilation rarity album. Go listen to this as soon as you can. Phenomenal song. And that does it for the singles. Now let's talk about the LPs I heard this week. First up, Ultramono by Idols. I've been following Idols for a while. I was kind of a fan of the past two records and the the singles got me hyped. I, I will admit the singles were pretty good. And um, it had me thinking that this was going to be one of their best records to date. But after listening to this whole thing, um, I have to say that it's not the case. In fact, I'm starting to notice a, a trend in their music. I'm trying, I'm starting to notice a Idols formula. And it's the thing that I love the most about Idols' music. I, I love that they're unapologetically political. And they talk about social issues. And of course, the best thing about Idols is their aggressive and raw punk sound. But three albums in, and I'm starting to get a little tired of their sound. It's great that their guitar and drum playing is still visceral. But at this point, I'm like, okay, I've come to expect this with their music. The first track on this album is everything you would expect from an Idol song. Guitars and percussion are visceral. The lyrics, though, are, are just laughable as they are superficially anti-war. We know war is bad. Say something interesting about it, at least. The pre-chorus just comprises of their yelling. And I'm just, just laughing to this song because it's just not good. The lyrics ruined the song and took me out of the experience. And it's the first song of the album. Frontman Joe Talbot. Tabo says it was the quickest thing the band wrote and man does that show in fact i feel like it reflects the entire album another song on here anxiety is simple both lyrically and musically the chorus reminds me of that one black flag song about depression you know depression's got a hold of me depression i gotta break free it, it basically like the same formula anxiety has got the best of joe talbot the song ends with Talbot and the band shouting and yelling anxiety. It doesn't deviate much from the main guitar riff or the pounding drum beat either. It bounces back and forth between its steady pace and its quick and heavy attacks, but I got pretty bored of it fairly quickly. Even when I do like the lyrics, like on Ne Toche Pas Moi, I think, some terrible or lousy songwriting gets in the way. I liked the first verse and the chorus, as it deals with sexual harassment and consent. It's unfortunately something that needs to be sung about. It's something that a lot of harassers and abusers need to hear. But then the lyrics are repeated, and it has me thinking that they had nothing else to say about it. It 
comes off as lazy. It really seems like the only songs worth giving a damn about were the singles. Grounds is still one of the best songs here. The riff is repetitious, but at least it's backed by entertaining and moving lyrics. Gotta love that line. Do you hear the thunder? That's the sound of strength and numbers. Immediately, I have, you know, BLM and Antifa and the protests and the movement um, in my head when I hear those lyrics. I gotta give it up to Talbot for saying, so I raise my pink fist and say black is beautiful. This is the kind of thing they should be singing about with their platform. And I think a hymn is a nice slow build of a song with vulnerable lyrics. Everyone can relate to the to those lyrics, I wanna be loved. Everybody does. But then, man, oh God. Then you have a song like Danky, uh, which I think is their laziest song on here. I mean, it borrows lyrics from Daniel Johnson, and it was Talbot's tribute to Johnston. Um, and sure, I can respect that, but the song also ends abruptly, and it, it just feels like it could have been fleshed out a little bit more. But at least the guitars and the drums are pounding and aggressive, which I guess makes up for the lyrics. But uh, I, I just I, I was just disappointed with this album. Definitely not as good as Joy or Brutalism, and I think if Idols wants to redeem themselves, they should get out of this cycle and this formula because now I feel like it's getting a little too old and they are definitely capable of more. Up next, I heard Nectar by Joji. Before listening to this record, I kind of asked myself, what is the appeal of Joji? Because while I do like some of his songs, I didn't find his first album, Ballads 1, all that interesting, nor did I find his debut EP interesting either. So I figured it out. You know, you got the lo-fi beats and you got the sad boy R&B songs. If you're going to listen to Joji, you're going to listen to the vibe. And while I didn't like Ballads 1, it was pretty easy to get into because the album was short and sweet and a lot of the songs were short and sweet. But I'll be honest, there is nothing past the, the melancholy and the somber breakup and lovesick and sad boy ballads that he presented on ballads one so when i saw that nectar had 18 songs and was almost an hour long i was hoping that joji was bringing something new to the table has he improved his songwriting abilities how is his lyrical content as the singles would suggest we would hear joji on a grander and different scale sanctuary and gimme love see him take a more popular approach with catchy hooks and brighter and upbeat instrumentation then we have a single like Daylight, which has clear and warm production. Joji changes his singing style as well to accompany a, a more conventional pop song structure. And Run is, is more dramatic with gloomy guitars and his singing and the lyrics, which sound more tragic. And while the production sounds smooth and the lyrics are admirable, the shifting of the moods can make this a bit of a confusing listen. The opening track, Ew, would have us think that Joji is embracing the melancholia with its heartbreaking lyrics and depressing strings. But right after that, Modus returns to the lo-fi hip-hop aesthetic. But Joji raps and sings about artistic vision and the music industry. It is one of his better songs on the album because he tries a little something different, and it's clear that Joji is trying new things on this album. Unfortunately, because the album is so long, it has to resort to songs we've heard before, and it gets very derivative. Nitrous sounds like another Can Get Over You um, from Ballads 1, which makes sense because Clams Casino produced both of these tracks. 
And all I'm thinking is that he's just recycling the same song. And that's not a good look for your second album. Like You Do is a sad little piano and synth melody that is just really uninteresting. Pretty Boy is a pretty standard 808 beat trap song with Little Yachty featured, which is just so funny because it's the cherry on top. Little Yachty being one of the uh, iconic rappers in the trap scene. But, you know, I will admit, while it sounds generic on paper, it is pretty catchy and it bangs. But because the album is not a cohesive unit, it relies on its individual songs for it to stand out. In the moment, these songs slap and you can vibe with them, but they don't have much replay value. Or they are just straight up not interesting. You know, you listen to Joji only for the vibe, which is something that I can respect. There's an audience for that, but it's not for me. Oh God, and by far the biggest sin that this album commits is Reanimator because it features Yevis Tumor and it's so short. It's three minutes long. It sounds like it could have been five to six minutes long, but the song sounds like a demo. It sounds like a blueprint for a, a, a much bigger song and it just sounds like they wasted that feature. Um, I was looking forward to that song too, but gotta say, Nectar, not really for me. Up next, I heard By the Fire by Thurston Moore, which was a hard album to review for two reasons. One, while I love Sonic Youth, I haven't heard everything, especially not Thurston's other solo albums. And two, Kim Gordon's No Home Record came out around this time last year, and it's still pretty fresh in my mind that I'm gonna compare this album to Kim Gordon's album, which I, I, you know, it's not fair. They're both different albums. Gordon reinvented herself on No Home Record. You know, she married the alt rock and new wave sound of Sonic Youth with the trap production styles of today. And like I said, while it's unfair to compare these two albums, it's important to mention how Kim Gordon has progressed with how Thurston Moore has progressed. Because in comparison, Moore's album might be just, you know, a bit derivative. And I, I say derivative because there's moments where it sounds like Thurston is borrowing riffs from certain eras of Sonic Youth. For example, the opening track, Hashish, sounds like it could be from A Thousand Leaves. Cantaloupe sounds like it could be from Dirty. Uh, while I was listening to the song, I kind of expected Kim Gordon to appear on vocals because uh, it sounds like she was going to appear on vocals. It sounds like a Sonic Youth song. But while everything sounds derivative, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it. But where this album absolutely shines is the four tracks on here that clock in at around or over 10 minutes long. These tracks are winding, they are shifting and changing, they are enveloping you in noise and drone. Locomotives spends half of its 16-minute runtime on these tension-building dissonant chords and tribal drumbeat before it shifts into this more manageable alt-rock sound. was definitely blown away by this track when I first heard it. Venus, meanwhile, dedicates its entire 13 minutes building on its anxious atonal chord progression. These two songs, along with Breath and Siren, are the standout tracks on this album. If you love noise rock and if you love Sonic Youth, definitely give this a listen. You won't find anything new on here or imaginative like on No Home Record, um, but I loved it and I have to admit it is a guilty pleasure album. Up next, I heard Free Love by Sylvan Esso. 
Um, this was kind of a weird album for me to review, um, but I kind of gave her a chance because I got into Sylvan um, when the Coffee single was released when I was in high school. Um, I loved that track a lot. It was my brand of like calming indie rock, I guess you can call it, which is what exactly what I was listening to in high school. And it's funny because I don't particularly like that kind of music as much as I used to. So it's weird that I'm listening to this album now, but why not? What I didn't expect was that this was a glitchy Indietronica album that kind of relied on minimalist production. A lot of these synths and beats sound anemic and muted throughout this album. And like I would expect from Sylvanesso, the vocals are gentled and they're whispered. The Indietronica wave is kind of getting tiresome because we've heard this sound done over and over again. And the only time that I really listen or enjoy, I should say, the only time I really enjoy the Indietronica sound is when somebody does something different with it. But unfortunately with this album, it's a more derivative Indietronica. None of the synths and the vocal manipulation is interesting. Ferris Wheel is what I think Sylvan Esso's idea of a fun and dancey, danceable song is. I assume they wanted the synths to come off as poppy and bubbly, but they just come off as bland. There's no energy in her vocals either, so the poppy and fun dance song just falls flat on its face. And I'm using Ferris Wheel as an example because it pretty much sums up the rest of this album. It's a lot of poppy, poppy in quotes, and danceable in quotes, songs that fall flat on their face. At least Frequency attempts something interesting as the production is very glitchy and mellow. It's probably the most interesting instrumental on the album, but the vocals are just so lackluster. Then it's followed by probably the most annoying song on the album, Runaway, where the synths are upbeat and cheery, something from an old like Apple iPod commercial, but then you have like the millennial whoop in that song. It's just uh, a sound I've heard over and over again, and I'm just so sick of it. And I'm sorry if you love this album and this sound, but I'm just over it. I can say at least the album is consistent with how mediocre it is. I also heard All Thoughts Fly by Anna von Hauswolf. I was introduced to Miss Hauswolf through 2018's Dead Magic, which was a stunning piece of work that showcased her raw vocal and instrumental talent. Just go listen to a song like The Mysterious Vanishing of Electra and you'll understand what I mean. Although that's not, I, f- I feel like that's not the best song to describe her sound as that song sounded a lot more like Swans, like it was Swans inspired, which is kind of funny because I was supposed to see both her and Swans uh, live in June. Um, so that's, um, that's pretty sad, man. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, just listen to that song, her guitar playing, her singing, just phenomenal. But when it comes to her instrumental playing, you have to listen to her pipe organ abilities. The Marble Eye off of Dead Magic is a good example. It was an interlude to bridge one of the longest songs on the album with the final song on the album, but it was only her organ playing. And while it wasn't as cinematic as the previous three songs on that album, it was still captivating. So that begs the question, what does a new Anna von Hauswolf album sound like? Well, what if I told you that she made an entire album that sounds like The Marble Eye? It's just pipe organ playing. And look, if that sounds boring, I get it. I thought it sounded pretty boring too, but it's not. 
the music on this album is so phenomenal as it layers organ tracks that linger as well as include these eerie and unsettling and sometimes uplifting ambient sections to create a, a lot this atmosphere throughout all of these tracks because this album is instrumental it demands your attention when it comes to individual instrument playing and yes i miss the ferocity and intensity of anna's vocals i wish she sang on this album but there is still that confrontational nature in this music for example, the lead single, Sacrobosco, begins with foreboding ambience that's haunting. It makes your skin crawl. What's different is that as the song progresses and the organ comes in, it, it takes this sinister-sounding song and makes it transcendental. I fell in love with the atmosphere of this song as well as the album. Anna can take darkness and shed some light onto it. Persephone's organs creep up and sound almost dejected but as they rise in intensity there's also a beauty to it that i can only describe as bittersweet it's a simple track sure but it's effective in executing its mood and atmosphere i knew this album was going to be special on the first track theater of nature where the organ chords bounce back and forth between each other and and, and this mystifying ambience behind it it's a good opener to let you know what you're going to get into the highlight for me though is the dense and overpowering title track it has these layered organ tracks that swirl around you it's hypnotic and transcending it slowly increases its intensity as the track envelops you whole then the chords abruptly end as they reverberate which left me speechless i was blown away by the surreal beauty of this track by the entire album honestly hands down one of the best albums i've heard this year and and with this album i think housewolf has become one of my favorite artists in recent memory honestly i'll definitely be talking about this album again at the end of the year i heard one more album this past week but we'll get to it after the break coming up sufian stevens the ascension stay tuned Welcome back to Sound Encounters. Earlier in the show, I had mentioned that I wanted to do something different for this week of Sound Encounters, and that's what I did. I've never taken a new release and dissected and analyzed it for uh, a segment before, and so I wanted to do that with the new Sufjan Stevens record, The Ascension. And I thought this was going to be like a, a good one to do because Sufjan hasn't released a solo project in five years and it's gotten a lot of press. He's one of the biggest indie idols right now. And I'm a fan of Sufjan Stevens. So, yeah, you know, why not pick uh, this new Sufjan album? So before the Ascension even was released, every Sufjan fan was just thinking, what is he going to do for this new project? And once America dropped back in July, we were kind of piecing together what this was going to be about. It seemed like he was creating a breakup record with God, with America, and how it sounded sonically. 
it sounded like he was going to reinvent or build upon the sounds of The Age of Odds, released in 2010. And because of the emotional lyrics, which, you know, are a staple of Sufyan's career, <laughs> it sounded like he was also going to combine the odds sound with Carrie and Lowell's lyrics. And I should point out that I only really listened to Sufyan's solo projects. Haven't really been interested in his side projects or his collabs. Sorry, Sufyan, but I mean, he makes so much music. I just... I don't want to listen to everything, and he's made it to like two Christmas albums, which are over like two and a half hours long. So of course I'm not gonna listen to everything. Um, I've only really listened to the the main stuff, the main the the main the, the stuff that people talk about. You talk about Sufjan in the 2010s, people are gonna talk about Oz and Carrie and Lowell. They're not gonna talk about the Decalogue or Planetarium. Yeah, I'm mainly focused on his main projects, and because I've heard his main projects. A combination of Odds and Carrie and Lowell would be interesting because Odds was like this electronica jungle, whereas Carrie and Lowell was a 43-minute, intimate, and depressing folk-inspired cry session. And it would be nice to hear a, a, a refined age of Odds. But I have to say, I think comparing the Ascension to Odds is a bit of a disservice to this new record. While we do hear Sufyan using lush electronic textures and glitches, I think it's safe to say that the Ascension stands on its own. Throughout this record, we hear that Sufyan is desperate and lost. Many times we hear lyrics of a crisis of faith or lost faith in America due to President Trump. I mean, he hasn't released a solo project since 2015. Trump got elected in 2016. And given how Sufyan was going to do a project where he was going to release an album on each of the 50 states, you know, he has some connection to his country. And just seeing Trump ruin that and racism and xenophobia show its true face in the age of Trump, I can imagine, you know, Sufyan is just very tired and upset. There's some lyrics referring to climate disaster. So I was I was getting ready for some heavy lyrics throughout this album. And while I was pretty impressed with the singles off of this album, hearing the album in full, I think it does sound a little like he got his inspiration from a Tom York solo project or something. That's that's the main thing that stands out to me when it comes to the instrumentals, when it comes to how this album sounds sonically. And usually if I think that an artist sounds like another one. It's hard for me to latch onto that sound. And on first listen, after track five, it was a blur to me. I didn't really pick up until Sugar, which was the song that I had already heard due to it being a single. So it was really hard for me for the first couple of listens to really delve into the music and pay attention to the music. But now that I've heard it, multiple times now i'm ready to analyze this thing track by track starting with make me an offer i cannot refuse which is a song that i loved immediately here we have the introduction to the narrative of this album which is that he's losing faith in his religion he's losing faith in god and he wants another thing to latch on to he he has this line that says show me the face of the radical dream and nowadays radical is being associated with leftists 
and BLM and Antifa, especially with all the protests going on. But it's only radical because they want to change the status quo of America. They are upset at capitalism and government and cops. So, you know, it makes sense that, yeah, we want to change things here because this is not ethical. It's not compassionate to our fellow man. And so when he says, find me or show me the face of the radical dream, I'm picturing that he wants something else to latch onto, like I said before, and that he's finding faith in people coming together and defending one another. These are just my thoughts. But to say this in the opening track of your album is pretty powerful. And it sets the the tone for the rest of this album, especially when Sufyan, who has been singing about God and religion since the beginning of his career, it's it's just so, I don't know, it, it, it's depressing to, to hear a, a man at his age losing faith in something that he's had faith in for his entire life. It is a bleak opener, but it's accompanied with these lulling and gentle synth tones, which we're going to hear a lot of throughout the album. So if I don't mention the instrumentation on the album, just it's going to be, it's most likely gentle synth tones. Next up, we have Run Away With Me, which has, oh God, the lushest production on the album. Love what they did with his voice on this song. Lyrically, you know, I, he could be talking to a lover since he is losing faith in his religion. He could be putting faith in other people and that could be a lover. He's no longer dedicated to God. And and does this mean that Sufyan puts more of his faith in people now? There is this line that says, I will bring you life, a new communion, the truth of light within, and I will show you rapture, a new horizon. Follow me with life and I, and love within. And this could be Sufyan completely dedicating himself to his lover. This could be his, this actually could be his lover talking to him. He could be putting himself in the perspective of this person At the same time, it could be read as this is God trying to call out to Sufyan again and and, and bring him back into uh, faith, into the religion. There's actually a lot of moments on here that could be, you know, it could be God. It could be a person that Sufyan is referring to because Sufyan has talked about God throughout his most of his career. It's very plausible that it is God. Next up, we have Video Game, a, a song that I freaking love it's so poppy it's so catchy it's actually more idm inspired when you listen to the synths uh when you listen to the instrumentation the video game kind of confused me at first or at least i thought i had a confusing interpretation of the song when i first heard it but now listening to it again it's clear that sufyan doesn't want to be idolized he doesn't want to be put in the limelight later on in the album, he talks about how he's not a man of controversy, and that's you know that's very true. He likes to stay out of of all that, and he doesn't he doesn't want any trouble. Um, but mostly, this song is about how he doesn't want to play the music industry's game. He doesn't want to be a puppet. He doesn't want to seem different to his loved ones, like his friends or his family. He still wants to be himself, despite being this indie icon. And going back to earlier, what I said about the song about how he doesn't want to be idolized. After losing faith in God, he could see the dangers of idolizing some someone like a God or or Jesus, and in turn, he he realizes he has that power over um, a, a lot of indie kids who love listening to Sufyan. So he's just saying that no, this is not good. This is not what I want to stand for. Very important song, very 
catchy and amazing song definitely one of the highlights off of this album up next we have lamentations which is even more idm inspired at least the intro it it sounds very aphex twin to me as there's a lot of warbled vocal sampling and and a lot of programmed drums on this album In, in fact side note a lot of this album was composed with programmed drums and synths because his guitar is in storage and this is what he has with him at the moment but i'm glad that he kind of switched up uh, his sound, especially after having such a folk uh, or guitar-centric, folk and guitar-centric album in Carry On Lowell back in 2015. Getting back to Lamentations, Lamentations is the book of the Bible, but it also means the, the passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It also means weeping. Near the end of the track, Sufyan says, take me into all of your lamentations. And, and I interpreted this as we should grieve for Sufyan or he's asking for our sympathy as, you know, he is a man, a man of faith who is losing faith and he's given up on God. And it's just really devastating hearing him like this. I didn't really think much of this track when I first heard it. I really thought the instrumentation was kind of boring as well, but I'm glad that I re-listened to it because it is, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Up next, we have Tell Me You Love Me. And, and again, this could be interpreted as Sufyan talking to a lover asking desperately you know tell me you love me i I want that validation but it also very well could be sufyan speaking to god the first four verses sufyan could be asking god to love him even when he has lost faith in him and he is unraveling and this all culminates in the last verse as it climaxes and we hear this ethereal chorus telling him that he will love Sufyan. And this, again, this could be God telling Sufyan that he is going to love him even when Sufyan doesn't fully believe or love God. And, and, and because of that crescendo and that climax, it's one of the most powerful songs on this album. I love how it slowly turns from, again, this gentle lulling synth instrumental to this rush of large emotion. And then this next song, Die Happy, is actually a song that I, I I didn't really like when I first heard it because the lyrics are repetitive. The instrumentation was repetitive for the first half with its lulling and ominous electronic instrumentation, making it one of the more hypnotic songs on the album. But the song does change halfway through into this more energetic arrangement with a drum beat and synths that have a quicker tempo. But getting back to the lyrics, it's just one thing repeated over and over again you know him singing he wants to die happy but you know this is probably the most desperate and most human song on the album here we can all relate to wanting to die happy and living a fulfilling life and i can't really fault sufyan for expressing this very human desire definitely one of the more sad songs on the album and then up next we have adivan which uh i have to say is the most Tom York-inspired song on here. Sufyan's singing reminds me of York's moaning <laughs> a lot on, on Radiohead or uh, solo projects from Tom York. He does whisper, kind of singing whisper, too, that reminds me of York. Uh, plus, the instrumentation is very reminiscent of York, the way that the program drums stumble and sound muted. And there's also a low synth hum that reminds me a lot of uh, of Anima from last year. It reminds me of Anima because it's it's so fresh. 
But to be fair, more animated synths come in to lighten things up, which rarely happens in a Radiohead or Tom York song. And I do want to mention that he does have a lot of these bright moments on the record and a lot of pop culture references. And the reason why a lot of the music does get bright and, and there are references is because he wants the album to not be so sad and depressing. He wants some fun in there too, despite it being probably one of his saddest records yet. But, uh, well, I can understand why he doesn't want another sad record because he just came off of Carrie and Lowell, which was probably the purest uh, form of grief that I've heard on a record um, so far. And he might not want to be associated with the sad indie guy. Um, I guess it is admirable to want to include more uh, brighter moments, but I think he should have gone full sad again for this um, record. Getting back to Adavan, the song's lyrics touch upon um, this illness, this fever that he has, and it's probably correlating with the fact that he can't cope with the loss that he's feeling. There's a line on here that says, is it all for nothing? Is it all part of the plan? And I do like these lyrics. It offers Sufyan's disorientation with his lack of faith. And anytime he expresses feeling lost, it just strengthens the narrative and, and it makes us feel what he's feeling. And also this, this, this song has been memed on as there's a line where he talks about shitting his pants and wetting the bed. Um, I even shared a meme on the Sound Encounters Instagram story um, about that line. So, um, <laughs> I mean, what can I say about that line other than um, I didn't expect that. But, you know, you know, overall, this is an all right song. The instrumentation isn't that impressive, even when it devolves into this glitchy techno section at the end, which then transforms into this reverb sobering string section. Uh, it's a lot. And again, it sounds like another artist, which makes it hard for me to latch on to. You just didn't need to do all of that stuff in this one song. It, it really sounds like it goes on for longer than it should be. The next track is Ursa Major. In this song, he, he says, tell me, Lord, which road to follow. I want to love you. And he's asking for forgiveness. So here we're starting to see him lean more back to the side of faith but he's still lost. He doesn't know what to do. That's why he's asking for forgiveness and he's asking for direction. Um, the dense instrumentation and, and some of the vocal manipulation on this track is not that interesting to me. What really is interesting and what really stands out about this track is the lyrics. Um, it, it's not my favorite song on the record at all. Um, probably my least favorite track on the record, but still, it's lyrically important to the narrative of the record. Up next... We have Landslide with its lullaby-like synths and glitchy instrumentation. This is another song that I pretty much overlooked on first listen, but uh, I'm glad I was able to, to hear it again because of the chorus increasing the intensity of these synths, making it a little more exciting to listen to. And, and one thing that I really like about Sufyan's uh, vocals on this track is the way he shouts and his voice breaks as he says Landslide, which reminded me a lot of av tears singing from animal collective uh, um and that again that that's what made this song stand out to me but um i'm glad to say that it doesn't sound like an animal collective song aside from that little moment the chorus builds really well and the song talks about a second chance at god's love so this was a, this was a really good track as well gilgamesh on the other hand is 
probably the glitchiest song on the record and i was interested in it because the flutes sound a little like vesuvius from the age of odds um we don't have my rajneesh on this album which was a single that was released fairly recently after uh the america single was released so i think he wanted to include something like like a sample or something that sounds similar to the Vesuvius flutes, and I think that he found it here in Gilgamesh. But I'll admit, it's a clusterfuck instrumental. There's a lot of harsh noise in, in this one as well. But at least I can say it was something that I wasn't expecting from the record. The lyrics aren't that interesting as it kind of pulls from the Epic of Gilgamesh, as the song's title would suggest, but I, I just wasn't really interested in this track either. But the next two tracks were pretty good. Talk about something I didn't expect from the record. Death Star also has an instrumental that I didn't expect because it's this electro-pop industrial dance beat. And there's a creepy sample that says, I'm your ticket tonight. That's repeated constantly. And getting back to the pop culture references, this is obviously a reference to Star Wars. Um, But he seems to be talking about climate change here as he says vandalize what you create trash talk violate it death star into space what you call the human race expedite the judgment day and he's basically talking about the failure to the climate crisis and uh how we're all gonna die (laughs) uh one of the more unsettling songs on this album and that's honestly what makes it a highlight for me i especially love it when artists talk about the climate crisis because it's something that we should be talking about it's something that should be discussed seriously it's something that i'm still surprised is not being addressed but given who is in the white house right now i get it um it's still pretty fucking scary but this is um this is i say what uh, uh instrumentation done right whereas gilgamesh is instrumentation done pretty poorly and of course i can't talk about death star without talking about goodbye to all of that as death star nicely transitions into this song and um it's a good it's a good balance with this song because goodbye to all of that is slightly more optimistic his vocals are clear and unaltered uh it's still glitchy but the rest of the instrumentation is upbeat and lighter than the previous song this time sufian seems to leave his past behind which you can clearly tell is hurting him he's still a bit hopeless but at least he is looking to the future and looking to improve things, especially when he says what hasn't killed me will make me stronger. So those are good back-to-back tracks that that strengthen the back half of this record. Up next is Sugar. When I first reviewed this track a couple weeks ago, I didn't really like its repetitive lyrics, but I will say that this song has grown on me. The lyrics aren't as much of an issue as the phrase come on baby give me some sugar holds more weight now that i've spent more time with this song also i think the ending of the song is some of the best emotional delivery from sufian on this album you know he talks about remaining hopeful during hopeless times and with coronavirus and trump and climate change affecting all of us it is hard to stay hopeful but you know at least he's trying on this track we have impressive glitchy yet dreamy and lush synth and drum work here the chorus is also catchy as well again i'm not uh harsh on the lyrics and the chorus on this track as i I used to be a couple weeks back so this is another great track and then we get to the title track the ascension which starts off with somber synth and piano melodies that slowly builds 
but but not into anything crazy. Instead of like crescendoing and increasing the intensity, it's another emotional build, both musically and lyrically. As Sufyan is kind of making sense of his years of his devotion to God and the world around him. It is tough pills to swallow, but he does it here on this track and and because of it, it, it is kind of a devastating listen. You know, I was really happy for him as he was talking about how he used to be selfish. He used to back away from the conflict, but now he is being called to be an example, to call out injustices, to know when to do the right thing. However, Sufyan is still very lost. He's still very afraid as the song ends with him just asking the question over and over again, what now? Like, what do I do now? What what happens now? I am so afraid, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of what I was getting from the ending of this track. And yeah, it is a, a terrifying situation to suddenly lose faith in something that you have had faith in all of your life. But this is an important step for Sufyan as he's reaching the lowest point in this process. And then finally, we get to the last track on this album, America. And make no mistake, this is the best song on the album. Uh, we, I, I feel like I knew this when I first heard it back in July. Um, I, I, I still am a, a bit critical on the fact that this was the first single. It summarizes basically everything that he talks about throughout the record, although it is this amazing closer that was spoiled for me when I heard it back in July. But don't worry, it's still a fantastic song. We're at the end of the album after Sufyan has wrestled with his thoughts and his feelings. And here he definitely says he can no longer believe in the American dream, in God and the religion, and his religion, I should say. It's a sprawling, shifting, electronic masterpiece. His vocal shift sounds very psychedelic. It really encompasses a lot of what Sufyan has sounded like throughout the album but also throughout his entire career and we get these nice calming twinkling ambience synths at the end to close out the album this is Sufyan's best emotional performance on the album especially when shouting don't do to me what you did to america you can really hear the 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 emotion the desperation the sadness in his performance and man what a, a freaking album I, you know, I'm glad I, I listened to it over and over again because when I first heard it, I was really underwhelmed, not really paying attention to all of the lyrics, not really paying attention to all of the instrumentation. But now listening to it over and over again, I can now say that it, he did construct a wonderful narrative. He, he does get lost in it a couple of times, especially when he talks about Gilgamesh and shitting the bed and whatever. Um, but what I, what I can say is that I love how Sufyan portrays this loss of faith because, you know, at times he's given up, but then he ends up going back to God and religion and he just doesn't know what to do. There are times where he's optimistic and times where he's very cynical. And I think that aspect of the record is what makes it stand out among his other records. And the fact that he portrays this loss of faith so well. You know, he does the emotional grieving on Carrie and Lowell so well. I didn't have any doubts that he would portray this process um, any less genuine 
than he did on like Carrie and Lowell. And of course, what I dislike about this album is that some of these songs sound too similar to other artists. You know, I Tom York, probably the best example. Uh, a little bit of Aphex Twin, a little bit of AV Terror, and it's fine to take inspiration from artists and incorporate them into your own sound or improve upon them or make it your own. But some of these songs were too on the nose. But these are minor complaints from an album that is pretty great. A wonderful addition to Sufjan's discography. And that was The Ascension by Sufjan Stevens. What did you think of this record? You can let me know on Twitter and on Instagram at Sound Encounters. Um, you can even send me an anchor message. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash Sound Encounters, let me know how you're feeling about this record. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Are you pretty indifferent to it? Because I felt indifferent to it when I first heard it, but after giving it uh, more time, I ended up liking it more than I thought I would. Well, it's not Sufjan's best. It is pretty freaking great. Go listen to The Ascension. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed me doing something a little different, but I enjoyed talking about Sufjan Stevens this, this week. Um, and, and believe me, I'm working on genre guides. I'm working on artist guides. I have a couple of artists that I want to talk about, including the Talking Heads, or just Talking Heads. Can't call them the Talking Heads. Um, but yeah, you have that to look forward to. I think we have a couple of great weeks of sound encounters. Wow, I can't even see the name of my own show ahead of us. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.